Welcome to the Education Exchange. I'm Paul Peterson. This past week, U.S. Secretary of Education Betsy DeVos, while touring U.S. schools, has been asking them to rethink education. She says that for years, for decades, for generations, schools have been carrying out their tasks in the same, same way, and it's time for a change. Well, I have today with me Diane Tavener, Chief Executive Officer of Summit Schools, who's developed a transformative new approach to educating children. She created the first Summit School in Redwood City, California, heart of Silicon Valley, and she's built a chain of schools elsewhere in California and in the state of Washington. And after creating one of the highest performing schools in California, she's revamped her approach so that each student has his or her own personalized learning experience which they choose for themselves. And this approach is so fascinating that uh, in a nationwide competition for a $10 million prize, she was one of the winners. Laura Jobs Foundation held this XQ competition and Summit was uh, selected uh, for their innovative idea. And uh, Diane Tavener has also attracted the attention of the Chan Zuckerberg Foundation and Facebook who have put her technology up online so that schools across the country are now making use of it. So Diane, it's great mm -hmm. to have you here at Harvard this fall. Thanks, Paul. And I'm gonna ask you a question you've been asked 100 times before. <laughs> What's the secret sauce? How, what is it that mm -hmm. uh, you're doing that is getting people so excited? Mm -hmm. Well, thank you, Paul, and it's really um, it's fun to be here at Harvard and um, with you. And I, I'm going to open with an answer that probably doesn't sound very exciting, um, but it's true. Um, and I think the secret sauce is alignment. Um, and what I mean by that is um, what Summit has done, and I think done well, is um, gone back to really explore um, the purpose of education. What are we doing this for and why? Um, what is our context that we live in today? We no longer at the start of the industrial revolution. So what are we facing now in our world? What are our values? What do we care about? And what does the science tell us today about how people learn and what motivates them and what they care about and all of those pieces? And we have really um, spent the last 15 years building an aligned and coherent school model, a whole approach to learning and developing human beings um, that is really aligned and coherent and, um, and different from the industrial model that most of us um, have experienced ourselves and continue to um, perpetuate. Um, I think that's the model that um, the secretary is talking about this idea that we keep doing the same thing over and over again. Um, and so the reason that alignment is the secret sauce is um, there's tons of people who are experimenting with really interesting things and they see one piece of something, whether it be teacher education or, you know, technology in the classroom or whatever, name what it is. But they try to sort of wedge that into an existing model that isn't really designed to get the outcomes that we want and we need and we value today. So, so what is it that you're doing inside the classroom yeah. that's aligning the educational experience to 
what's needed today? How, how, how are you making that alignment? We start with um, redefining what we expect our students to be able to do when they graduate from high school. And so as they exit us, um, we have not limited ourselves to what traditionally we've limited ourselves to, which is can students do basic reading, writing, math, and know some information. And effectively, that's what we ask for in our existing system. So we've expanded that and said, you know what, we actually are going to prioritize skills. So these big transformative skills like thinking and evaluating and analyzing that cross multiple disciplines, we expect that. We do expect them to know some things, so that hasn't gone away. That, that is knowledge. Um, but we also expect them to develop some habits of success. And so um, you know there's a lot of interest and talk around social-emotional learning and um, executive functions and all of those things. And we've been really thoughtful about um, putting the, the best of science together in a, a set of habits that our students need to leave with. And then finally, a sense of purpose. So why do they do what they do and what do they they want to do and um, what is their personal pathway forward into the world and so we expect all of those outcomes and so what that looks like in the classroom is you have to spend time on developing those skills and habits um, and so it doesn't mean a teacher at the front of the classroom lecturing anymore and a textbook or even necessarily a flipped classroom where you're watching a video and then taking an assessment it looks like kids really engaged in deep rigorous problem solving and um, thinking about um, big issues and then bringing their knowledge to bear and working together and utilizing those habits and those skill so sets. how can you create, that sounds all great. Yeah, yeah I, I love your goals. <laughs> I'm totally convinced I'm on board, but how do you do that? How, how do, do you do get that? students to take responsibility mm -hmm to actually have a purpose, to be highly motivated. Mm -hmm. I know some students just are automatically that way, but yes. other students are not. So how do you get everybody on board with this? Yeah, I think of? you're right. And in our experience, about 20% of students are kind of naturally that way, and we sort of receive them that way. But about 80% we don't. And so um, what we key into is sort of natural human motivation. So people, I, I believe, and I think the science says, naturally want to have control over their lives and what they do. They want to have purpose. They want to know why they're doing what they're doing. And they want to actually be good at it. It turns out no one wants to be bad at what they have to do every day. And so what we do is create a situation where kids do have a lot of control. They make a lot of choices around their learning. So that's the key. They yeah, have control. They do. They make the choices. So what do they choose among? What are some mm -hmm. of the, give me some examples of yeah. the choices they can Great. make. Great. So when they're doing these projects, they often are choosing, um, for example, um, in a project that they're going to look at, uh, they're going to develop a persuasive speech. So this is a really important skill, the, the ability to put together an argument and be able to persuade people of your argument, to use evidence in your argument. Um, that's a standard skill everyone should have. We give them choice around what they're actually going to persuade people of and how they spend a lot of time digging into that as opposed to prescribing what they're going to persuade people of. Um, oftentimes, they'll have choice in the actual product, so how they show their knowledge. Do they want to build a model of something? Do they want to write about it? Do they want to speak about it? So we'll give them choices along those lines. And then some really expansive choices in how they actually um, learn what they need to know in order to solve these big problems. So um, do they like to 
read about things? Do they like to watch videos about things? Do they like to do simulations about things? When do they like to do that? Um, you know, so there's been a lot of conversation around pace and path and, and um, all of those pieces. And certainly those are elements of the choice that our students experience. The key here is not everyone just is successful at this right out of the gate. And really what happens is adults start to feel uncomfortable because we're used to these classrooms that are controlled, where it looks like kids are doing what they're supposed to be doing because they're being compliant. And they're sitting in rows and they're being quiet and they look like they're taking notes or doing what they're doing. But the question is, are they really learning? And I think the evidence suggests that a lot of them aren't. And so when you create an environment that's filled with choice, you have to be um, willing to accept that some chaos to begin with, some, some chaos to appearance begin. that nothing is going right, that they're going off in the wrong direction, and you just have to let them go in that direction for a while. So. For a little while, but um, that's where I think that um, Summit has a real perspective. We view ourselves as coaches and mentors and guides, and so there's lots of intervention and lots of support, um, but kids have a lot of control over all the minutes in their day. And what I would argue is that I value the development of that skill that they're practicing in and out every single day um, over the time that they are with us as we send them into adulthood. They will be very well equipped to control their own lives and manage their own time because they've practiced that with such good feedback and coaching. Well, I know it's on the mind of some of our listeners. Yeah. And one of the questions they have in their mind is, well, they've got to learn their math tables. They've got to learn their phonics. They've, there's some basic tools that you've got to have if you're going to be able to achieve your purposes. So shouldn't they just get some instruction in those basic skills so that they have that under their belt? Um, so no doubt that there is a set of very valuable knowledge that I think all of us should have going into adulthood. Um, now, there's a whole bunch of other stuff as well. Um, we know now today that what we know by the time we're 18 is certainly not going to carry us through our lives. So we need the skill to be able to learn for the rest of our lives. And so that's really how I think about it. Yes, they should leave us with this very important basic set of knowledge. But probably more importantly, they should know how to learn. And they should know how they learn best. And so we feel very confident that we can get them to have that basic set of knowledge and at the same time have them have the experience of deciding how they're going to learn it and making sure that they've actually learned it. And um, so that process of um, suggests that not every student's going to learn from a teacher instructing them on something. That's actually not the best way for most kids to learn. And so we don't batch process kids in that way. Um, we do help them get, have a menu of options for how they're going to do it and hold them accountable to being competent. So this requires a new kind of teacher. Mm. And we have schools of education today that are teaching teachers how to be the kind of teachers teachers have always been. So how do you find the teachers to create the kind of atmosphere that you are looking for at mm -hmm. Summit Schools? And that's one question. And as soon as you answer that, I'm going to say, and how are we going to get that in lots of different places. places. Yeah. Well, a few pieces to this. So I, we believe the most important piece of 
the shift in teaching is a mindset shift. So it's really this belief that, first of all, all kids are capable of these this wide set of skills and habits that I talked about. And second, that it's your role as a teacher to help all kids develop those skills. You know, and... Um, there's a lot of teachers who believe that. And, and you know, that that has been a bunch of the pushback that I think that we have heard from teachers about too much testing or the watering down of the curriculum is that they haven't been able to have this more expansive view. So I don't, we haven't had a hard time finding teachers with this mindset, number one. So then it's a new set of skills. There's certainly a new set of skills, but you know what? They're very trainable skills. And um, again, we follow the principles of how people learn. Um, Summit has always been highly invested in the training and development of teachers. Our teachers spend about 50 days, that's five zero a year, engaged in ongoing training and development. Um, and we now train teachers across the country um, through our Summit Learning Program. And so um, these are very trainable skills. Um, and with great tools that we have developed, they make them even easier to develop and, and utilize as a teacher. So how many schools are actually using this model mm -hmm. that Facebook has put up online? Mm -hmm. And it's, I guess it's available to anybody who wants to use it. It is. Uh, and how many, what's, now we're entering into a new school year right now. Do we yes. have an estimate yet as to we how do. many places are? We do. Yeah. So this is our third year of offering the Summit Learning Program to anyone who wants to use it. Um, our first year, uh, we had 19 schools that we worked with across the country. Last year, we worked with about 130 schools. And this year, we're working with about 330 schools in 40 different states. Um, that's about 2,400 teachers and about 56,000 students that we'll be working with this year. Um, so are you getting repeats? Are the people who've signed on initially Yes. Sticking with it. Indeed, they are. They are absolutely sticking with it. And um, the vast majority of them, by our recommendation, did not um, spread this across their whole school in the first year of working with this. Mm -hmm. So they're taking a really thoughtful process where they start, for example, in one grade level, and then they're expanding it to the next grade level as the students um, move through their school. And so, yes, the 330 includes all those original um, schools and then some new additions as well as they expand throughout their schools. Well, what uh, policy obstacles are you running into? I mean, are there barriers to introducing this new uh, approach? Mm -hmm. I, I guess Secretary DeVos would want to know that. What, yeah. what's, what are the restrictions that state laws or collective bargaining contracts or local school district policies, where are you finding the the, the, the difficulties in, in the policy world. Yes. So um, as a charter organization, um, I think Summit has really benefited from um, the freedoms in the how we do things and the accountability to our student outcomes in developing the model. And so I would say as a charter organization, we have not bumped up against too many policy barriers yet. Um, as we continue to move forward, we see some. Um, but this year, we'll be working with about 78% of those um, 
uh, schools we're working with are traditional district schools. And so they are certainly bumping up against some of the policy barriers. Um, number one is this idea of seat time so that really we don't care if kids master something or are competent. We care about if they've sat in the seat for a period of time and funding is tied to that and, and much of the accountability system is tied to that. And that's probably the biggest policy barrier that we have. And lots of people have talked about this for quite some time, um, but it truly is um, kind of the, the biggest issue, I think, of transforming how we think about education, um, shifting this idea from just being there to actually having learned something and the outcomes that you have achieved. Um, and, you know, related to that, obviously, is then the funding. Um, and so how does the funding actually um, follow the student um, into their learning experience and the experience, how they learn best? Um, interesting, I'm not sure that I would call it, maybe it's a policy barrier, um, but it really does come from um, post-secondary education and what's expected of our graduates. Um, so I think as bo both of us know, the high school diploma isn't worth a whole lot today. Um, and so most people in order to have any sort of economic success need to go on to college. And so the college entrance requirements really define very heavily what happens in high school. Um, and they are very much constrained and confined by the same idea of, you know, number of hours in classrooms and very conventional subject matters. Um, and so... Well, I, you know, at Harvard, they expect that a student will have taken four or five advanced placement courses and mm -hmm. done very well in them. Yes. Is that going to be possible in the learning framework that you have uh, formulated? It is the summit model, and so all of our students um, culminate, all of their um, high school years culminate in an AP course, at least one in every subject area. Um, and so that is possible. And certainly, I believe the rigor that Harvard is looking for and many others is um, deeply present in our model. And in, act, in fact, um, for all students, not just a select few in high schools. Um, but I do think that um, how we look at that and how we constrain that in our, on our current transcripts needs to be rethought. So what is the evidence that it's paying off? I mean, this is what, uh, you know, you're yes. going to be asked by yes. uh, policymakers. So Indeed. do you have any Indeed. information on that score? I do, I do. So, um, you know, first people generally ask about sort of conventional measures. So, um, you know, are your kids graduating from high school and are they going to college? And so certainly what we know about the summit students is indeed, yes, that is true. They're not only graduating, but 100% of them are accepted to at least one four-year college. Um, the schools we're starting to partner with, we will see them moving in that direction. It's too early to have those types of results. The second type of conventional results are how are they doing on state tests or how are they doing on nationally norm reference tests? And um, the summit students continue to outperform form both national, state, and local um, peers. Um, and we're, we're starting to see that with the schools that we're working with, even in these very, very early phases, so on the traditional measures. For me, the most powerful outcomes that we're seeing come directly from teachers, students, and parents. And what we hear very clearly is this has been transformative. Um, 
my child for the first time ever is engaged in school, can tell me exactly what they're doing, can tell me why they're doing it, feels ownership over it. I'm not having to, you know, make my student do homework or go to class or things like that because they want to, because they know why, because they care about it. When people come and visit any of the schools we're working with in our schools, they inevitably tell me, it's amazing. Every student I talked to knew what they were doing and why. And they had a plan and they had goals. And it wasn't because someone was telling them to do it. Um, and I can tell you as a parent of a child in one of these schools, because my own son goes to one, um, the difference in him has been literally transformative to our family um, and who he will become as a person because of this experience is the person that I want to have as my son. I want him to know what he wants to do and why and have the skills to do it and be set up to live a life that he wants to live that matters to him. Um, I, I love that he's joyful and he likes going to school and he knows people there care about him and know him. Um, well, that's a wonderful testimony and I'd love to end on it, but I just have to ask one last question. <laughs> Great. And that is for a child like your child who has mm -hmm. had all kinds of good experiences even before they walked into mm -hmm. any school building, this model seems perfect, mm -hmm. but how about for the child who mm. comes without those resources? Yeah. Is it equally effective for them? Um, more so effective. So we actually have um, some of that traditional data. So in WA map data on both math and reading performance on a nationally norm referenced test shows that the students who start in the lowest quartile actually grow the fastest in our model, um, which makes sense because they have the furthest to grow. But nonetheless, that's rarely something that we see in education, especially when students are at the high school level. Um, and so what we find is this is an enriching environment that does benefit everyone, but most benefits students who come in far behind. Well, Diane, this has been a uh, fascinating conversation. I've been speaking with Diane Tavener, the Chief Executive Officer for Summit Schools out in California in the state of Washington. Uh, thank you very much, Diane. Uh, this is Paul Peterson. This is the Education Exchange.